All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning, and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I'm your host, Todd Schnick. Very much looking forward to this conversation. A couple of things that we're going to be talking about on this uh, on this show today are things that I don't talk a lot about on this show, and, and I'm really excited to connect to today's guest because these are some things, frankly, that, that I've overlooked as editor of the Business Channel, and so I'm looking forward to getting into some of these subjects, and so the, let's not waste any more time. I'm joined today by Melissa Gonzalez. She is a marketing and retail strategist. She's the founder and CEO of the Lioness Group, and she's an author of a recent book, which we are going to talk about, called The Pop-Up Paradigm, How Brands Build Human Connections in a Digital Age. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate uh, you making time to join me. And again, I appreciate your understanding. I'm doing a little reschedule on there, so appreciate that. Uh, so, Melissa, before we get into our conversation, and I really don't know where the conversation is going to go. That's going to make it interesting. Uh, take a few quick seconds. Tell us a bit about you, your background, and then give us a quick overview of the Lioness Group. Sure. Uh, my background is, yeah, I'm a native New Yorker. I went to, I studied finance and Spanish in college and started my career on Wall Street. I left Wall Street in 2009 to pursue more creative endeavors, which turned into my first pop-up store with a, with a friend who had just launched a line. And since then, have developed a business out of it. We are now the Lioness Group. We are pop-up architects. We are we focus on retail strategies with pop-up retail as our niche, and we keep ourselves busy. I bet you do. You know, I've been in marketing long enough and been observing business long enough that I understood what a pop-up was. And I just want to be sure that whoever's listening to this is is fully cognizant of exactly what you mean by that. So if you could kind of give us a ten thousand foot view description of what a, exactly a pop-up is. Sure. I, I mean, a pop-up is a temporary retail experience that, that a brand puts together. And it could take place in an actual brick-and-mortar store, but it can also be a mobile pop-up. In, in a, it could be in a shipping container. It, so the structure can vary, but it's a temporary time period where a brand creates an experience so that they can engage one-on-one with customers. Well, thank you for sharing that. I could go down a rabbit hole here and discuss with you. I, I almost wonder that in five to ten years' time, that that's a majority of the of the shopping experiences that are going to be possible. I mean, I, that 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 idea. I don't know how you actually feel about that, but I, that makes a lot of sense to me. That that kind of idea, uh, that kind of experience, is 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 possible. Do you, do you see it going that way? 
do do I see retail in general shifting in this direction? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always going to be a mix. Um, I think that there's going to be the retailers that are around year round. But I think the way retailers utilize physical spaces, whether it's short term or long term, is what's going to continue to evolve. And it's 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 not these like distribution hubs. It's not, you know, it's not all about the utility of I need a, you know, a new pair of something today. Uh, it's about an experience and the way that in which brands are using physical spaces could be now shoppable showrooms and you're going to see more and more integration of technology and really satisfying the need that a consumer will have many touch points. They might interact with your brand either mobily or via desktop or within a physical space and to them they don't care where they're hitting the buy button. They care about there being a cohesive experience and so as brands are approaching physical, they're just keeping that in mind, that it's about creating a consistent story, a consistent touch points, and really allowing people to immerse themselves in, in the brand when they're interacting with them in a physical space. Got it. Talk about the power of what temporary retail can actually do. I mean, I imagine it has a number of benefits. So one that comes to mind for me is that it's an interesting way to generate loyalty, but I imagine mm-hmm. there are others. Talk about some of those. I mean, it's definitely, you know, you see a lot of pop-ups with uh, focusing on customer appreciation and they, they help with customer loyalty, but there's a lot of, you know, testing and education that happens with pop-ups. So within testing, it could be an existing brand that's launching a new product line and they want to get feedback of how um, a customer's responding to it. You see major brands like Pottery Barn does that, for example. They understand that like the, the teen market is a little bit more fickle than the adult market that they sell to and before they put things into mass production, they'll do pop-up stores to gauge interest of what what's resonating, what, what are they selling through, and then they'll make their inventory decisions from that. Or it could be a brand testing a new market before they sign a long-term lease in Manhattan. A, they want to make sure it's the right market for them, and B, they want to make sure they're trying the new, they're, they're, they're signing a long-term lease in the right neighborhood because the traffic that you're seeing down on Wall Street versus Soho versus Midtown varies greatly. And then sometimes as a brand that they have a little bit more of a a complicated value proposition to just understand from seeing it online. Maybe they make clothes with phase change technology that changes due to the temperature of your body, or maybe there's a beauty product with um, a special formulation. You can't really explain that online, so they'll use a pop-up store to have uh, like a higher level of education happening in a physical space and, and really bringing all like the speaking point elements to life. And sometimes they're testing new partnerships. Or they're creating buzz for a partnership before it goes into mass distribution. So you see collaborations with, you know, H&M, Times, some celebrity designer doing a pop-up store. They get a, get a ton of buzz. The products sell out before doors close. It becomes the next must-have collection. And then by the time it gets into the H&M stores across the country, they've created really significant buzz around it. Now, you're not necessarily talking about a kiosk in a mall, right? You're talking about an entirely different... I mean, I guess you could achieve it with that, but but that's not what you're talking about here, right? We're all familiar with those, but what you're talking about here is a very strategic endeavor, a very strategic move. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, cool. You mentioned uh, the importance of a cohesive experience. You mentioned the importance of the need for the the story to be consistent. I suspect those are the two areas where where a lot of these pop-up strategies can fail if it's not cohesive and it's not consistent. Talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on the cohesive side, it's really important for a brand to take a step back and think about, you know, what's our value proposition? What's the product or service we're selling? And who is our customer? And so 
do you want to be consistent to the the image that you've created online through your social channels, through your through your desktop version, uh, you know, your website, through mobile, and in the store? Um, but you also just want to think of you never want to confuse the customer of what you stand for. So you just want to make sure that everything's consistent from the fonts you use to the color palette of the space to the fixtures that you have in the space. I mean, does it make sense that it, it's 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 steel or are there shadow boxes or you know are there bright colors is it more earthy like you just when somebody looks at your brand there should be no confusion of who you stand for what's your identity so that they're developing a relationship with something that they trust and you want to really be consistent across touch points because a customer isn't thinking oh it's okay this is mobile this is desktop this is store they're thinking no this is a brand that I trust that I want to be able to rely on and they don't care where the where the interaction is happening yeah i understand what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show is is what modern business and some modern technology really adds to the to the fore here we'll get into these in the second half these ideas around open source commerce and and the ability to create a hyper local community for a brand and and customer empowered shopping with hyper customization and virtual and augmented shopping experience a lot of cool stuff we'll get into that deep in this in the second half before we close this first half of the show though melissa i do want to i mentioned at the top of the show your book the pop-up paradigm could you take a few quick seconds and those who are not familiar with it give them an overview of what that's all about i mean i imagine it covers a lot of things we've already been talking about but highlight that book real quick for us the pop-up paradigm is you know it's really about how brands build human connections in digital age so it's not a how-to book although there's some tips throughout the book but it's really a number of cases studies, I highlight you know, seven of the most common goals that I see when brands are approaching pop-ups and then case studies throughout the book, some from clients that we've had and, and some from other pop-ups that I found to be really impressive that you know, other agencies worked on and, and, and tying that into some of those goals, what they did well, what was interesting about it and how you can tie that into your pop-up strategy going forward. Got it. All right. Well, we'll certainly link to that in the show notes as well, in case you're not familiar with the book. Uh, you know, before before we go to the break, I just want to clarify one thing. You touched on this earlier, but I want those listening to really understand this, that what you're talking about here does not just apply to an online vendor, right? This this It does, it can, but it also applies to a, a very traditional bricks and mortar facility as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's plenty of uh, people that do pop-ups that have full-time brick-and-mortar stores, and a few blocks down they might be doing a pop-up because they want to have a very specific conversation about a product line or, or a new campaign. So it's, it's online retailers, but it, it's definitely retailers that have existing physical spaces as well. Got it. All right. Melissa Gonzalez and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpeedler.com. 
right, I am back with Melissa Gonzalez, marketing and retail strategist and the author of The Pop-Up Paradigm. So I mentioned at the uh, tail end of the first segment some of these cool modern strategies and technologies that make pop-up strategies even more intriguing. Uh, so let's kind of go through those. Hopefully, time permitting, we can we can touch on most of them. But, but what the heck is open source commerce and how does it apply to this? So what I mean by open source commerce is that, you know, Data is so powerful, and what a lot of technology companies and retailers and app developers are, are realizing is that they, 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 they join forces to create an ecosystem that they can really harness some powerful information and utilize that to better serve customers. So uh, an example I like to bring up that I think is a pretty accurate kind of example of this ecosystem I'm talking about is what Under Armour has done with their connected fitness product. And so what Under Armour has done is they've kind of joined forces and scooped up a number of apps that monitor what people are doing in different parts uh, within their health and wellness like life cycle. So one app tracks nutrition, one app tracks like activity and sleep, one is more of a motivational tool for, for setting goals for, for, for running or other activities that you have, but all of them is collecting information about a, a person and they're getting data not only about you but they're getting data about other women in New York City within my age range etc and they're creating this pool of information that's helping them better serve me and then they also have um, their Under Armour gear right so as they're better serving people they've become this this network of information around your health and wellness right and and giving you motivations that are relevant and helping you understand how you how you exist within, you know, other people in your demographic, in your city, things that will motivate you, things that will educate you, things that make you feel that this brand is really your partner and they're giving you motivation and advice that's very personalized and relevant to you. Yeah, very, very cool. I, uh, it's now cliche to say, oh, we're good at collecting data, but most organizations still don't effectively do anything really cool and actionable with it. But I, I, can, imagine, I can imagine that a, a good understanding of the data you're collecting can also inform where a pop-up strategy would be really impactful, yeah? Absolutely, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So hyper local communities for brands. I mean, now that now that I understand what you do and how you do it, uh, I, I can really see how powerful creating this hyper local community for a brand could be and how, frankly, how easy it would be with the strategy and effective use of data, as we just talked about. But talk more about these hyper local communities and how powerful they really can be. Yeah, you're seeing it so much more where. I mean, it's it's happening really across industries, which I think is really interesting. But so when I say that, I mean the Gap's doing it, yeah. and activewear brands are doing it. And I think for a lot of the activewear brands, it, it's probably a little bit more intuitive. But you know, if you go to Hoboken, for example, the Baby Gap there, they have book reading days for the mommies or the the nannies in town to come in and and come just share storytelling time. There's a running store in Hoboken that has a running club, and they all meet out front of the store once a week and they go jogging together. Nike is is opening these community stores across the country and in inner city areas where they're making sure that everybody that's hired for that store is a local athlete. They're doing encouraging activities for the local community and they're really creating relationships with people that it's not about selling the products. It's about selling the mission of the brand and creating communities within the community around that. Athleta is on Fifth Avenue here and they just opened a studio in their lower level 
with free classes and they're 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 tapping major boutique fitness studios in New York City to curate classes for mommies that are trying to get back in shape, meditation programs, and it's at no cost, but it's creating a community around the athletic store. And in turn, they're more likely when they come back upstairs, they need a new pair of leggings or a new sports bra, they're going to shop it. But they're all going after Mindshare in order to create sticky relationships with their customers. Yeah, no, I just recently moved from Atlanta in the below me in the building I was in was a running shop. And every day, mass collections of runners gathering to run together. I mean, I, and now I understand why that's so powerful and why they would do that. I mean, it, it makes all the sense in the world. Very, very cool. And as you said, if done right, very sticky. And that's what builds that loyalty we talked about in the top half of the show. So another area that's really intriguing here is this idea of, uh, and what's possible now with technology and this hyper customization. I mean, you mentioned 3D printing. There's probably mm-hmm. more opportunities there, but talk about the, the potential of that. Yeah, I mean, 3D printing is something I continue to be really excited about, and I think that it still has a long ways to go as as they continue to evolve of the type of materials that can be used and how it can be scalable. But it's it, it it's it's happening with with emerging designers, it's happening with major brands, uh, and it's allowing for real time customization where, where where customers are really getting to be part of the design process. And so there's some parameters, right? I mean, there's there's options they have to choose between. But an example here in New York City is the norm, the normal store where the inside of your ear is different than the inside of me. I mean, how annoying is it when you buy the headphones that they never stay inside your ear and you walk or you jog and they fall right out? Right. And now you can customize it. It takes the shape of the inside of your ear and it's it's customized to your fit. Um, you can pick the colors. You can so enabling people to do that and you're seeing a lot of sports brands are doing it with sneakers you can customize the the sole the inside sole so it's customized to you i mean everybody's foot differs within inches but it makes a huge difference uh, to the fit so being able to do that and then you're seeing hyper customization if we go back to the data that's collected on people and understanding what i like versus what you like i mean i could look at a website and you could be at your own computer looking at the same website and we'll be looking at two different things because it understands my interests, my past purchases. It's going to recommend something different. So the more technology continues to advance, the more customized and personalized experiences. I mean, kind of can call it like the humanization of retail. It's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine, Melissa, what we're going to be talking about with regards to that, like in five years' time? I mean, I can't even, I can't even fathom what's possible there. It, it's, it's, it's almost mind-boggling. It's so exciting. <laughs> we all watch the movies that are coming true now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking on that subject, I mean, we kind of, you also talked about virtual and augmented shopping mm-hmm. experiences. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of related to what we've just been talking about, but there's probably even more cool opportunity there, yeah? Oh, absolutely. I think that that's, that's, that's definitely in early stages and in both senses. I mean, on the virtual reality side, the, the more and more that these ha- headsets are being created and they're at price points um, that customers can buy. And I mean, this is where an example where an ecosystem has to exist as well too, though, because the the headset alone is very cool and being able to put on a headset and really immerse a customer into the experience. But there's also the content creation side of it. And, you know, for a lot of the smaller brands, I mean, really putting this together is a little bit out of their financial means at this stage. And you're seeing a lot of the bigger brands do it in a more powerful way because they have the creative team to think of the story, to create the 3D video, to bring it all together. But the fact that you can walk into a store now and step behind the brand, you just put on a headset and, you know, if it's a, if it's a car brand, you put on the headset and you can virtually feel what it's like to drive this, this car down the PCH 
right? It's a totally different thing than just going into a dealership and, and selling the leather. It's just adding to that experience of where you can imagine yourself with the product. Oh, I'm envisioning a thousand scenarios right now. I mean, if, if I'm buying golf clubs, I could be, when I'm testing the thing at a little internal range, but I'm looking at Augusta National and the Masters. Oh, right. Exactly. I can imagine if I'm trying on a brand new custom-made suit that I walk into Gordon Gecko's office and shake his hand. I'm, in, I'm envisioning if I'm trying on you know running shoes that, that I'm running uh, into L.A. Coliseum and the Olympics. I mean, there's a million cool little things like that. But I also think it's more than that. I mean, it's more than just in, it, trying a product and, and, and envisioning it being in use in a, in a, in a expected reality. Uh, but there's probably some other things that are even possible there. I don't know if we even know what those are yet, but it's, it's really intriguing. It is. It is. And, the, you know, I think the balance with augmented and virtual reality is with augmented reality, there's extra layers of the experience, but you're, but you're never taken out of the physical space you're in. And with virtual reality, you're, you're kind of like transported somewhere else and fully immersed in that. And so I think there's benefits and challenges on either side of it, and that's where I think the evolution is still working itself out of how to how do you immerse somebody completely, but yet keep them in the the, the moment that they're that they're in your store. But yeah, a lot of interesting, cool things are happening. I mean, you're seeing. I went into a Cigna pop up here in New York City, and they had this. It was basically like a wellness pod. And it, it, the whole store was experience of different points within you can have a healthier lifestyle everywhere from nutrition to fitness trackers to different shower heads that release serums that relax you. And, and you can go in this pod and I, can, I could have a, a guided meditation for two minutes to a Zen garden or to the beach or to – it's very therapeutic. Mm. Very, very, very cool. All right, so we are about out of time, Melissa. Uh, more to discuss here, uh, but uh, let's wrap with this final question. So if someone's listening, they say, okay, I, I see the power of this in terms of generating loyalty and and, and pr- providing a more int- intriguing opportunity and experience for my customer. I want to I I do one. What are, the, what are the one or two key things I need to understand first before, before proceeding? Two or three of the key things I always ask before doing a pop-up is why. What is your goal with the pop-up? Outside of I want to sell my product. Really really being clear on that. And then really taking the time to think about who is your customer and where is your customer. Because I see a lot of times people go after locations because it's a great deal. But everything has a cost. Time has cost. Time is money. So you really want to take the time to think about where is your customer and so where does it make the most sense for me to physically be if I'm going to have a short-term retail space. Got it. All right. Melissa, sadly, we're out of time. Before I let you go, how can people contact you should they have questions? Where can they learn more about the Lioness Group? And where can they get their hands on a copy of the pop-up paradigm? Sure. So we are active on social media. I'm on Twitter at Mel's Styles, and we also have at Lioness Group. And then our website is lionessgroup.com. And then Papa Paradigm, you can buy from amazon.com. It's, it's available internationally. All right. Melissa Gonzalez, a marketing and retail strategist, the founder and CEO of the Lioness Group and the author of the Papa Paradigm. Melissa, great pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation again. On behalf of my guest, Melissa Gonzalez, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.
Thank you.